teaching today. 1 Samuel 17, verse 48, the Bible says, And it came to pass, when the Philistines arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistines. And David, Philistine, and David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in the forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Well, what a, what a story. And a story that has lived on through the ages. The title of tonight's message is this. It's time to defeat your giant. It's time to defeat your giant. What is that giant that's in your life? Everyone has a giant they need to defeat. We're going to talk about what they could be. But the truth is you may already know what your giant is. Let's pray. Lord, tonight as we seek to identify where we struggle and uh, just can't seem to overcome that area, that, that fault, um, that intimidating factor, Lord, help us to find the courage David found, and Lord, may we defeat our giant the way David defeated his. Be with us tonight, Lord, move in our hearts, work, uh, work in our midst like only you can. Spirit of God, uh, you uh, can only do the work within the heart, and Lord, I'll preach outwardly, uh, but Lord, you, you, it's on you to drive it home inwardly, and I know you'll do that. Help us, each of us, to be receptive. Uh, to uh, the, the spirits moving in each of us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Many people have that one struggle in their life that they just can't seem to overcome. That one struggle. Um, it intimidates you. When someone brings it up or points it out, you just want to go into a shell you want to avoid that topic at all costs. Um, what, what is the giant that's in your life that causes despair? Maybe it's sin. It's sin. Maybe it's a sin of commission, a sin that you commit regularly. First um, John 2, we find the three categories of sin in the Bible. What are they? Lust of the flesh... Lust of the eyes and the pride of life. I've pointed this out here recently, but when Satan slithered up to Eve in the Garden of Eden, he went after the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He, she saw that it was a tree to make one wise and, and uh, that it looked good to the eye and, and uh, it, it would help her to know those things. She, she took, she took. Satan appealed to all three, lust of the flesh, Lust of the eyes, the part of life. When Jesus, uh, Satan approached Jesus in the wilderness, Matthew 4, Luke 4, what do we find? He appealed after the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And you know what? Satan works the same tactic in my life and in your life. And if there is a sin of commission that you have struggled with uh, for many, many, many years, uh, you just continue to commit this sin over and over again, it might be private to everyone but you and God. It may be that no one other than you and God know, or only you and a small uh, a group of people at home know, uh, but there's this sin that's a giant in your life. You've tried to overcome it in the past, and you just can't seem uh, to knock it down and knock it out and cut its head off. It continues to rear its ugly head. Well, it's time to defeat your giant. Maybe it's not a sin of commission. Maybe it's a sin of omission. Um, inconsistency in Bible reading and prayer. Many Christians struggle with being consistent. Week in, week out. Month in, month out. Year in, year out. Reading that Bible and praying. Reading that Bible and praying. Spending time in the Word and then spending time on your knees. And 
having that time with God, uh, week, day in, day out, just on a regular basis, making sure that you're grounded in consistent Bible reading or prayer. Many Christians will go through spurts of doing it and then spurts of not doing it, and there just seems to be this giant that's looming in their life that they just can't seem to break through and be that consistent Christian in their private time. Maybe uh, your giant sin of omission is your inability to share your faith with those around you. you. You'll hear me or others say that you need to hand out a gospel track at a drive through window or at a gas station or, or, or in a parking lot. You, you need to tell your co-workers about the Lord. You need to invite your neighbors to church. And you, you know that that preaching is true, but and you know you ought to do it, but boy, when push comes to shove and it's time to pass out that track, your heart begins to, to, to beat a little bit faster and, and you shy away and you get nervous and you just can't do it. Sins of omission. Maybe it's a lack of faithfulness to church. You're in church for a period of time and then you're out of church for a period of time. And you're faithful and you want to jump in and get involved and then hardships come into your life and the next thing you know, you've been, you turn around and you've missed church three, four, five weeks. And lack of faithfulness to church. Sins of omission. How about lack of service to God at the church. You're not necessarily caught up in any grotesque sin, but all you really do when you come to church is just warm a pew. You're not really helping out like God would have you. You're not as involved as God would have you, and you make excuses for why you can't do more, and you know deep down inside you ought to be doing more, and you're not. That's a sin of omission. There's a giant looming overhead and you know you ought to step up and help, but you just can't seem to do it. And then others, uh, we know the second greatest command in the Bible is what? Love thy neighbor, say it with me, as thyself. But if we're not careful, we turn around and we have a calloused heart toward others. We have a calloused heart toward others. You hear someone's in the hospital and you, okay, well, whatever. Others will pray for them. Right? Uh, you, you know someone's having a hard time and has a financial need and a benevolence offering is taken up and, well, I, I, you know what, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to give toward that. Other people will give toward it, but not me. Uh, you you uh, are asked to pray for one of our senior sisters who's going through a health struggle and you never take the time to bow your head and, and grace one word of prayer their direction because you really don't love others. Your heart is hardened. Your heart is calloused toward others because you are self-consumed. You are only worried about your life and what's in front of you and your job and your family and your kids and your grandkids. And God says you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And there's this giant of uh, there's this giant looming in your life of selfishness and you just can't seem to knock him down and knock him out. Um, one preacher put it this way. He said, you ought to care that you don't care. It ought to bother you that when you hear hard preaching or convicting preaching that it doesn't bother you. Right? It, it, you, ought to be, you ought to be concerned that you are calloused. There have been many times in my Christian life where I've gone down to an altar at the end of a service and I've gotten on my knees and I've said to God, that sermon should have convicted me and it didn't. And I'm here to confess the sin of callousness. I'm here to ask you to break my heart anew. My dad uh, is a preacher, and um, I've heard him say this a number of times. He said there's two times when you ought to come to the altar. You ought to come to the altar when you are convicted and when you're, you're not convicted. All right? You ought to come to the altar when you ought to have been convicted, but you weren't. It's that, that, that layer of callousness. I was, at the, um, I was at Lowe's a couple of weeks ago picking up a two-by-four for a project I was doing around my house, and um, I needed to, I was going through the self-checkout with a 10-foot long 2x4, and I was not wearing gloves, and I picked up this 2x4, and I spun it around, trying not to hit all the old ladies behind me, amen, uh, trying to spin it around so I could get to the barcode so I could scan it in and pay for it, and a, a uh, let's see, it was right here, I still got the mark, this, uh, this splinter dug deep in my hand and just gashed my hand deep and uh, took out a gaping portion of my skin happened two weeks ago tomorrow and I'm still not all better from it and I said to Matthew I said I didn't need that skin um, you know what's grown back over that spot is a callus I could now take a needle and I could stick myself right there and it wouldn't hurt 
wouldn't hurt, wouldn't bother me. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is needling you, but you've let sin create a callus over your heart and it just doesn't affect you. The sin of omission. You don't make decisions for the Lord anymore. You've just plateaued. What is it that's the giant in your life? Sins of commission. Sins of omission. How about this one? Maybe the giant looming large over you is a personality shortcoming or a personality flaw. Um, I find there are two groups of people in the world when it comes to personalities. There are the outgoing and there are the reserved. How many really enjoyed watching church at home on the live stream during COVID, right? You, you just turn it on and you don't have to leave your couch. You can curl up with a blanket. All of you are here, all right? How many of you at home enjoy watching live stream at home and you're, you're not here, right? And uh, you are reserved. And then you have others who are very outgoing. If I were to call you on the phone and say, hey, do you want to go before I even tell you where we're going? The answer is, yeah, let's do it. Let's roll. I'm ready to go. Let's do it. Uh, and so some are outgoing, some are reserved. And uh, the out, those who are outgoing, you may find it very difficult to sit still in your spirit and rest in the Lord. That time of meditating on God. Amen? Spending time in the Word of God and just not letting your mind and heart race. I find that some outgoing people are really some of the loneliest people walking planet Earth. Because they've got lots of friendships that are very shallow. But they don't have any friendships that run deep. They're always bubbly and excited and happy. Then you get them alone one-on-one and they're quiet and they're depressed and they're struggling. Deep down inside, there is this struggle. There is this struggle. Maybe you have the opposite problem where uh, you are shy. I just want to slip this in here. Parents, if you have a child that is on the shy side, don't make excuses for that shyness. You need to push them out of their shell. Um, Matthew is more reserved in nature, but since he was a little guy, we did not let him hide behind that timidity. Uh, I mean, his mother pushed him to interact and talk. And I asked Matthew about a month ago, I said, if it wasn't for me and your mom, uh, what kind of people skills would you have? He said, I wouldn't have any people skills. I'd just read books and, you know, stay stay to myself. And, And listen, parents, push your children out of that comfort zone a little bit. Some of you here weren't pushed out of your comfort zone as a child, and you are naturally shy. The thought of showing up 15 minutes early to church and talking to people, your thought is, well, why would you do that? I don't come to church to talk to people. I come to church to hear the Word and get fed. And and the truth is, you ought to come to church for both. Amen? You ought to come to church for both. And you need to get to know people. You need to interact. You need to get around. But it might be that you, this idea of being assertive and putting yourself out there and talking to others, boy, that's a personality shortcoming, a personality flaw. And, and, and it's a giant that looms over you. Uh, uh, talking to other people that you don't know, talking to other people about something that's controversial, stepping out and, 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 and putting out there what's right in the face of adversity, scares uh, the living daylights out of you. It's a giant that looms over you. Those of you who are uh, pushy and bossy uh, by nature, you may need to learn how to be more passive when the situation calls. Yesterday I went with a couple of men in our church. We had a daddy-daughter activity. Me and Brother Syrette and Brother Magnarella, we took our three daughters to Sequest. How many of you have been to Sequest, had the parakeets land on you? Right, you haven't been there. That's a neat place. And I told myself going in the door because I'm, you know, I'm an alpha male. I like to lead. I like to be in charge. But this is Brother Cyrette's activity. This was not mine. And so I literally told myself walking in the door, just play it cool and go with the flow. Just play it cool and go with the flow. Don't be assertive. Don't boss people around because that's my nature. Right. All my employees say, oh, man, this guy's a slave driver, right? He just pushes it, pushes it. Um, but don't be assertive. Don't, uh, uh, and so some of you here that are pushy and bossy, it, you may need to learn to be more passive. Those of you that are more passive, there are times where the situation calls for you to step up and be more assertive. Maybe your giant is a loved one that you know needs, to, uh, needs you to witness to them. Uh, maybe your giant is that uh, you have 
uh, a stand you need to take for right at, at your place of work or in your school, and you just find it difficult to do that. The reality is giants are intimidating. Giants can cause your heart to beat fast, your muscles to tense. Giants can send you into a state of paralysis of sorts. When Goliath breathed out his threatenings toward Israel, David ran toward his giant, toward his giant, while everyone else was running in the other direction. I'm amazed by that. David defeated his giant and brought great hope to his country and has inspired many others since. My prayer this evening uh, that, uh, is that the story of David will inspire you to pick up your five smooth stones, metaphorically, and slay the giants in your life the way that David did. So let's look closely at three key thoughts out of the second half of 1 Samuel 17 as we journey back to the time of David and consider the title, It's Time to Defeat Your Giant. Number one, number one, his conversation with Saul. His conversation with Saul. Um, As we saw last week, David had gone around the Israeli army and had challenged the men of Israel by asking them this question, Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Uh, He was saying to them, man up, uh, uh, get with it. There's a cause. There's a man down there challenging us. Uh, You need courage. You need to step up. There's a greater cause than yourself. Is there not a cause? Now, word got back to King Saul that young David was going around um, uh, challenging the men of Israel and that David was willing himself to take on Goliath when no one else was willing to do so. Letter A, notice David's courage, David's Courage. Look at me at 1 Samuel 17 and turn over to verse number 32. Look at verse number 32. David's been brought into Saul's tent, right? The tactical tent, the, the general's tent, the commander-in-chief's tent, and, and they're, they're, they're war uh, gaming, they're planning. In verse 32, and David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, thy servant, speaking of himself, thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Again, everyone else, when Goliath came in the valley and breathed threatenings out toward Israel, everyone else was running from, David was willing to run toward. One of the key attributes required for you to defeat the giants in your life is that you need a courageous heart. You need a courageous heart. Adrian Rogers tells about the man who bragged that he had cut off the tail of a man-eating lion with his pocket knife. Uh, Someone asked him why he didn't cut the lion's head off. The man replied, well, someone else had already done that. It's quite easy to cut the tail off when, anyway. um, I would define true courage to be a perfect sensibility of the measure of danger and a mental willingness to endure it. Mental willingness to endure it. You know that that giant in your life imposes danger. And... What can happen is your mind plays out all of the worst-case scenarios, and that just causes paralysis on you. For example, you have a relative at a family reunion who needs the gospel. And you know it is your duty as a Christian to witness to that family member. What happens? In our mind, we play out worst-case scenarios, right? They're going to think I'm weird. It's going to ruin the whole event. It's going to be awkward, not only this family reunion, but every family reunion moving forward. They're probably not going to text me back. They're not going to buy my kids gifts. Whatever it is, it just plays on and on and on and on in your mind. And then you want to witness and you, you, you feel the Spirit of God saying, go broach the topic, right? They're sitting on the couch. There's your chance. And then you're paralyzed because of your focus on all of the worst case scenarios, Right? What is courage? It's understanding that there is real danger and it's a willingness to combat that and deal with it anyway. The Prussian king, Frederick the Great, was widely known as an agnostic. By contrast, his general, Van Zelen, was one of his most trusted officers and Van Zelen was a devout Christian. Thus it was that during a festive gathering, the king began making crude jokes about Christ until everyone was rocking with laughter, that is, everyone but von Zelen. Finally, von Zelen arose and addressed the king. He said, Sire, you know I have not feared death, 
I have fought and won 38 battles for you. Von Zeeland continued, I am an old man. I shall soon have to go into the presence of the one greater than you. The mighty God who saved me from my sin. The Lord Jesus Christ whom you are blaspheming. He said, I salute you, sire, as an old man who loves his Savior on the edge of eternity. Then he turned around and sat down. The air sucked out of the room. The place went silent. The king stood up with a trembling lip and he said, General Von Zeeland, I beg your pardon. I beg your pardon. And with that, the party quietly ended. He was willing to stand up to the man who had the power to cut his head off. He did it carefully, but he did it courageously. He ran toward the giant of fear when no one else was willing to do so. David's courage. If you're going to defeat your giant, you must have a courageous heart. We see in contrast, letter B, Saul's cowardice. Saul's cowardice. Look at verse 33. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against uh, this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. What a vote of confidence from King Saul. Right? You can't, you can't take him on. You're just a little kid, and, and he's been a warrior since, since, since he was a kid. You don't stand a chance. Last week we talked about how that uh, no one was willing to face Goliath. There had been a 30-day stalemate. Goliath comes down in the valley, says, let's have a 1v1. You pick your best warrior, and me against him. If you, your guy wins, all of us will be your servants. If, if I win, then all of you will be our servants. And no one was willing to go in the valley and fight Goliath. Now, let me ask a question to you this evening. Who should have gone and fought Goliath for Israel? King Saul. It should have been King Saul. Um, the Bible tells us about King Saul that he was head and shoulders taller than every other man in Israel. All right? Erlon, run up here for me real quick. Hustle, 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 hustle. Hustle. I mean it. Get a move on or I'm going to sit you back down. Here he comes. All right. If any Goliaths comes into our church, here's our King Saul. Amen? Is he head and shoulders taller than me? He's pretty close, isn't he? Can you imagine um, Goliath, or rather Saul, was this much taller than every man in Israel? There was no hiding Saul. Chances are he was well over seven foot tall. He was a giant. Thank you very much. He was a giant in his own right, giant in his own way. Uh, he was the leader, but Saul was not willing to face Goliath. Saul was a coward. Saul, Saul, Saul what could have gone wrong and was paralyzed and unwilling to do it. Have you ever noticed that when David becomes king, the Bible talks about David's mighty men of valor. And it gives a list of his mighty men of valor and the amazing military feats they accomplished. One man stood in a field with a sword and slew so many men all by himself. And when he got done, the Bible says his hand claved the sword. He couldn't put it down. How many men have ever worked with a tool long enough to feel your, 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 your ligaments just tighten and yet you can't pry your fingers away from the tool? How many know what I'm talking about? Maybe you've, you've chopped wood or, or, or shoveled, whatever, shoveled snow, raked leaves, and, and your hands just lock in place. This man was so valiant that by himself he slew an entire army and his hand claved to the sword. He couldn't even put his sword down. And, and I'm brought back to this question. Why did David have mighty men, but Saul did not have mighty men? You ever stop and think about that? Why is it that David had a, a, a set of SEAL team or Green Berets, right? Uh, 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 special soldiers who were willing uh, to, to, do, to do incredible feats, but this particular branch of Saul's military was non-existent. Here's why I believe it is. David himself was a mighty man, so he drew mighty men. Saul was a coward, and so his army was filled with cowards. The reason why there was not a man to step up and say, I'll take him on, was because their general was not willing to say, I'll take him on. 
In fact, we'll see in a chapter, actually next chapter, David becomes the general of the army, and this is where their special forces build up. Under David, who was a mighty man who defeated Goliath, all of the mighty men of the country came out of the woodwork and said, now we'll join the military. Now we're in. Count us in. Saul could not defeat his uh, giant because he was a coward. He was a coward. Now, I'm not here to name call, but I want everybody to look up here at me. The giants are in your life that you can't defeat. It's time to go from a spirit of cowardice to a spirit of courage. You have to quit playing out all of the worst case scenarios in your mind and you have to say that sin in my life or that flaw in my life is going to come down because I believe that God can help me do it and will help me do it. When you take your eyes off what could go wrong and start putting your eyes on the Lord and say I'm going to trust Him to get me through all of a sudden, you'll be in a good spot. I, As a little boy, my preacher would use this illustration. He'd say, imagine I came out in the parking lot after church and I found Brother Lejeune sitting in his car and all by himself with his hands on the steering wheel. And I say, Brother Lejeune, oh, everyone else has gone home. Are you going home? And, and my, my, my Brother Lejeune would look at me and say, you know what, I just can't see the path all the way home. My headlights only shine out about 10 feet. And, and, and Pastor Williams would say to Brother Lejeune, he'd say, well, Brother Lejeune, here's how this works. You use the light given, and all of a sudden, you get 10 more feet of light. And then you use that, and you get 10 more feet of light. Then you get 10 more, and the next thing you know, you're pulling into your driveway at home. Some of you here won't overcome your giant because you can't see all the way to the end. And God just wants you to take the light given and move as far as you can, and then keep moving, and then keep moving. And you know what? When you use the light given, more light is provided. Next thing you know, you've overcome that giant. And Saul was courage, uh, David was courageous. Saul was a coward. Letter C, we see David's confidence. David's confidence. Now, I find here an interesting combination. And this is not something you would normally hear a preacher say. But in the chapter, chapter 17, David, before he was confident in the Lord, David was confident in himself. He was confident in himself. Look at verse 34. So Saul challenges David. You can't do this. Here's David's reply. Verse 34. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by the beard, speaking of the lion, and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. It, it sort of sounds like an urban legend that David could take on a lion and a bear and, and kill them both. How many of you men here want me to lock you, take you to Beardsley Zoo and lock you up in a cage with a lion or a bear? No, thank you. I, I think I'd rather take on Goliath than a lion or a bear. Um, I've been to the zoo. I've seen lions, and I would not want ever to be stuck in a cage with a lion. I can't think of a man walking planet Earth that could take on a lion with his bare hands and win. So this seems like an urge, uh, urban legend that, that David would, or maybe exaggeratory talk. You say, well, well then, Pastor, how do you... How do you reconcile this? Well, I'll say first and foremost, the Bible says it, so I believe it. But here's how I think this probably went down. I think David had his slingshot with him. And when that lion and bear approached and took one of his sheep, he pulled his slingshot out and he hit the, the lion and the bear and wounded them, deeply wounded them uh, with his slingshot and then finished the job with his hands. You say, well, the Bible doesn't say that. It also doesn't say that that didn't happen. Right? We're only given a little bit of detail here. And so, yes, I'm reading between the lines. Is it possible that David took on a full-grown lion on his own, mano y mano, and took him out? I guess. It's possible. I'm not going to say it didn't happen. But what I believe is that David was so well-equipped with that slingshot that he was able to damage those animals and then finish the job. So here David has already killed a lion and a bear, and then he sees a giant Philistine who is threatening, breathing threatenings at Israel and, and swearing against the name of his God. And David looks at that giant and says, man, I've already taken out a lion and a bear. You're nothing. 
I got this. David had confidence in himself. But notice next that David had confidence in God. Look at verse 37. David didn't just have confidence in himself. Verse 37. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. Now, the key to the Christian life is balance. There are some people, they are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. So heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. They think, well, I, you know what? I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to put myself out there. I'm not going to develop myself. I'm not going to take the talents and gifts God's given me and make them better. You know what? I'm just going to just trust that God's going to take care of it. And my confidence is in God. But yet you have no confidence in yourself because you've not developed your own abilities to do anything for the Lord. But then there are other people, they're so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. They're humanistic. Well, I got this, I can do this, and I can do that. And, and, and look at how I speak, and look at, at how I work. And if everyone was just like me, boy, the world would be a better place. And you understand, both are out of balance. Both are out of balance. David did not come at this and say, you know what, I, I had know nothing about uh, being a warrior. I know nothing about uh, uh, using any weapons at all. In fact, I can't even do five push-ups. But if you put me in that valley because of who my God is, that giant's going down. That wasn't David's attitude. At the same time, David didn't say, you know what, Saul, let me prove this to you. Give me, give me a slingshot, give me a target, I'll hit the target ten times. Send me out there. No, 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 David said... I have confidence in myself, but I have confidence in my God. And he put those two things together, and as we know, the, the giant fell. We see uh, David's conversation with Saul. Number two, notice his confrontation with Goliath. His confrontation with Goliath. Uh, the main point I want to make in the message tonight is letter B of this point. But let's get through letter A, and then we'll get to letter B. Letter A, notice Goliath's mockery of David. Goliath's mockery of David. Look at verse 42. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he, David, was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give thy flesh under the fowls of the air, into the beasts of the field. Why did Goliath mock David? Well, I see three reasons, or really two reasons here in verse, uh, verse um, 42. Why did he mock David? Well, first he mocked David because of his age. He looked at uh, David and said, I can't believe they've had 30 days with, to come up with a warrior, and they picked a teenager. They picked a child. Like, this guy's not even wearing, you know, any kind of armor. He's not carrying a, sh a sword. He doesn't have a shield. You send out a little farm boy out here, this little kid out here. I am offended that you sent this child out here to fight me, Goliath, a warrior. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers... In word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. We live in a culture that sells children short. It tells parents, let teenagers be teenagers. You know what that means? Let them be rebellious, it's all good. You know what, teenagers? It's not okay to be rebellious. It's not. It's not okay. God's not pleased with that. You say, well, you know, aren't all teenagers rebellious? No, they're not. I'm the oldest of seven kids, and the way my parents raised us, I'm not going to say that there weren't ever moments of rebellion, because there were in our home, but for the most part, all seven of us grew up, and none of us were rebellious, uh, severely rebellious against our parents. We all went along with what our parents taught us and showed us, and we were uh, faithful to church, and all seven of us today are in church. We sell kids short. We forget that 50, 60 years ago, uh, um, or I guess it's longer than that now, but uh, 80 years ago, uh, our 17 and 18-year-old boys were winning a war for us. Children today are just given a pass. 
And I want to say to the children in the room today, whether you're 3 years old or 13 years old or 23 years old, don't ever let an adult despise your youth. You can be an example, whether you're a 7th grader, whether you're a 5th grader, you have people looking up to you. And listen, some of those people looking up to you are adults. Are adults. They can learn from your example. You show them how to be polite and courteous. You show them what it means to be an example. I'm thankful for Brother Andres and Miss Hope and how they pour themselves into our kids. and uh, They teach our children to be godly examples of what's right. Here David is taking on a Goliath, and Goliath is is mocked. Goliath is offended at the youth of David, but David would end up taking down Goliath even as a young man. And listen, I look at our country today, and we are primed for revival. We are primed for spiritual great awakening. I look at uh, I look at American history, and I see that in the 1630s and 1730s and 1830s and 1930s, there's been some sort of spiritual awakening in our country, and I look at where we are today, and some people would say, America's a lost cause, and the Western culture is a lost cause, and there is no hope. And what I look at our country and say is that if the children in this country will rise up and love God and learn to put Him first, they can lead this country into a tremendous revival. I see immorality. I see filth. I see sin being celebrated. And I'm, I see uh, 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 folks wallowing around in sin the way pigs wallow around in mud. And now I'm being made to feel, and Christians are being made to feel as though somehow we're hateful and we're intolerant because we don't want to jump in the mud pit with and let others jump in the mud pit with. But I thank God for moms and dads who will rise up and say, you are my son, you are my daughter, and you will live pure in this impure world. Children, don't make your parents drag you into purity. You set the tone in your home by being pure. You love the Lord. You put Him first. And many, many, many of the revivals, spiritual revivals that have happened around this world, it's been teenagers that have sparked those revivals. It's been teenagers who've gotten their heart right with God and others, and adults followed suit. Let no man despise thy youth. David was the one that sparked this revival of swords in his country because he was willing to take on giants when no one else was. Why else did David, Goliath mock David? Well, not only because of his youth, but because of his innocence. Look at verse 42. When the Philistines looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, look here, and ruddy and of a fair countenance. A fair countenance. You know what that means? That means he had a look of innocence about him. Goliath expected some grizzled green beret to come out and go one-on-one with him. He expected some sword-wielding, shield-carrying soldier to take him on. Instead, he got a teenage boy with nothing more than a leather strap for a sling in his hand and a shepherd's bag on his hip. Goliath was offended. The world looks at Christians and mocks them. Mocks them. I heard uh, someone the other day uh, uh, use a derogatory term, throw a pejorative out at, at someone. You say, well, what was the pejorative? They called him a virgin. And that was a big insult. That was a big cut. Oh, he called you a virgin. Listen, I still believe that uh, for a man and woman to go to the wedding altar a virgin, is, 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 it pleases the Lord. That's not, that, to me, that's a compliment. Amen. But prior to me being married, uh, I was a virgin to my wedding, uh, to my wedding uh, altar, and and I praise God for that. And 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 listen, you can slight and cut down and and, and attack, but I believe that innocence is something uh, that God can use in a mighty way. Let the world look at us and mock us for our innocence, if you will. Uh, but listen, let God be true. Let God be true. Number Letter A, we see Goliath's mockery. Letter B, we see David's mindset toward Goliath. David's mindset toward Goliath. Now let's get into how you defeat your giant right here in letter B. Look at verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. I love his confidence, his courage. 
and I will smite thee, and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth I can see the birds gathering in the trees around, waiting for their supper, that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Notice that David did not run from his giant. He ran toward him and slew him. Many people spend a lifetime running from their giants. Instead of addressing the sin in their heart, they run from it. Uh, in, in, instead, of, instead of running toward it and dealing with it and, and fighting to defeat it, they run from it and ignore it. Instead of running toward the giant of personality flaws and addressing them head on, they run from their personality flaws. Now, here's what I want you to get from this tonight. When you run from a giant, it grows. It grows bigger and stronger and more fierce. When you run toward your giant, it shrinks. It shrinks. I'm thankful for my mom and dad who taught me that when a tough time comes into your life, you tackle it and defeat it. You tackle it and defeat it. Um, resilience, stick to finishing what you start. Now, mom and dad, let me just help moms and dads in here tonight. Thank God for all of the parents that are here. Make sure that if your children start something, you make them finish it all the way through. Don't let your child start a sports league and not finish it. They say, well, they want to quit. Tough. They signed up for it. Right? I told my kids, you're going to start up for the sports league, you're finishing. I don't care what it is. You're finishing. And the truth is, if my child signs up for a soccer league and then they break their leg, you know what? They're going to sit on the sideline with that broken leg every game and every practice, and they're going to see it through. You see it to the end. They're going to finish what they start. They're going to, what are you teaching your children? You're teaching your children that when problems and adversity come in your life, you see it all the way through until you have overcome and you have won. Mom and dad, you do your kids a great disservice when you let them back out and not finish what they started. You make sure they see that through. And by the way, they're going to learn to see things through to the end by watching you see things through to the end. Don't you give up and walk away. You make a certain commitment, well, you follow through on that commitment. You keep your word even to your own hurt. We live in a day and age where we don't run to our giants and defeat them. We run from our giants and we just pretend as though they're not there and our life is limited, our life is shut down, our life is nowhere near as great as it could have been. I'm going to continue this thought in point three and show you how David overcame his giant with the right mindset. Number three, let's see his conquest of Goliath. His conquest of Goliath. Letter A, David's preparation. David's preparation. Look at 1 Samuel 17, look at verse 48. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came um, and drew nigh to meet David that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in the forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead. We'll finish the verse in just a moment. Now, growing up, I was taught and told that David haphazardly slung a rock in the general direction of Goliath and that God just right between the eyes, right? God guided the stone and it hit him. That's not what that passage says. I don't believe that's what happened. Maybe you do. We can have a difference in opinion. I don't think that God did a lot of guiding that stone to hit uh, Goliath right between the eyes. Um, 
David did not go down into the valley without a plan. David, listen, listen, David was prepared. David was confident that he was going to walk out victorious. And he didn't walk in there foolishly thinking, well, I'll just go throw myself out there and we'll see what God does. Oh, he was trusting God, but David was prepared. David was fully confident that he would walk out victorious. Why? David had practiced. David believed with all his heart that he could hit Goliath between the eyes with his slingshot ten out of ten tries. David believed that he would win regardless of the size difference. That didn't matter to him. Here's the application. Many people do not overcome their giants because they do not prepare to overcome their giants. Are you struggling with the sin of commission? Is it lust? Is it covetousness? Is it pride? Is it gossip? Is it a bad attitude? Is it that you're up one day and down the next? Is it that you're joyful to be around one time and then edgy and moody another time? What is it that you struggle with and you struggled with for years and you just can't seem to overcome? What sin is it that lords over your life and you just can't seem to get it? Men, is it lust? Is it pornography? What is it that you just can't seem to knock down Flat. Let me ask you a question. What books have you read on the topic? You see, we can say, oh, I, I just can't overcome this sin. But you've never read a single book on the topic of the sin you struggle with. Are you prepared to overtake your giant? When you step in the uh, valley to take that giant one-on-one, what have you done to overcome it? How about this one? How long have you spent in the Scriptures doing a Bible study on that sin and how to overcome it? We don't crack our Bibles open and study. And because we don't crack our Bibles open and study, we moan and whine and complain, I just can't overcome this sin in my life. But you've not given five minutes of studying what the Bible has to say about it. You see, David walked down in that valley. He was prepared to take down the giant because of hours and hours and hours and hours of slinging a rock in a field and hitting a target. How long have you prayed and asked God to give you the victory? How many times have you fasted and denied your flesh food or something else that it craved in order to suppress your flesh and overcome that sinful behavior? Maybe your giant isn't the sin of uh, commission. Maybe your giant is the sin of omission. Maybe you don't read your Bible or pray consistently. I just ask you a question. Have you found an accountability partner to hold you to your Bible reading. When I lived in the state of Alabama, I was a teenage boy. I moved there the eighth grade year, through my tenth grade year. Uh, halfway through my eighth grade year, I went to a spiritual leadership conference in the state of Louisiana, and um, really challenged me and challenged my Bible teacher. His name was David Talley, and as David Talley tells the story, he said, I taught Bible in the Christian school. I was the youth pastor in the church, but I was carnal, and I was not very godly. And he said, um, this little boy named Richard walked up to me and said, I'm having a hard time reading my Bible. And I was having a hard time reading my Bible. I remember right where I was when I had this conversation with him. And I said to him, I said, can you hold me accountable to reading my Bible and praying? And so I had, for fourth period, I had history class with Brother Talley. And then we had a Bible later in the day. I had history class with David Talley. He's the reason why I still love history this day. He's a great history teacher. And after history, te- uh, after history class and before lunch, he and I would meet. Everyone else would leave to go to lunch. He and I would meet. I'd tell him what I read and what I got out of it. He'd tell me what he read and he got out of it. And you know what? I went from being inconsistent in my Bible reading, and he went being from inconsistent in his Bible reading, to where we both read our Bibles every day for three years straight. Did not miss a day for three years straight. You say, man, you're godly. You read your Bible three days straight without reading. You know what I was smart enough to do? Get an accountability partner. You say, well, well, I, can't, I just can't do it. That giant's looming over my head. I really think the biggest giant in the life of every Christian is the giant of laziness. We're lazy. We're not willing to put in the work to overcome our giant. Maybe you're afraid of sharing your faith, as we discussed earlier, with a friend or family member. Have you read books or taken a class on how to share your faith? Oh, what do you know? Look at this. 
we actually have a class at White Oak Baptist Church that teaches people how to share their faith. You have no excuse. I just don't know how. Sitting right down here in the third row is Brother Tom Dillon. He teaches our Soul Winners Club. You can come and sit through his class for an hour and 40 minutes every week. That's a long time. You know what? It's a lot shorter than eternity where someone in your life could go to hell. And you could learn how to tell other people how to go to heaven. That giant that looms over you every family reunion where you just can't seem to muster up the courage to share your faith. You know what I find is that when you have the confidence, you have the know-how to do something, the confidence grows. I share this story in my soul winner's class when I, when I taught it before I gave it to Brother Tom, but a lady named Rose came to my soul winner's class once when I taught this class in Maryland, and Rose is very quiet, very quiet. And uh, In fact, I had never had Rose say one word to me. Her and her husband would come, and I mean, both of them, introverted, they would come in late and they would leave during the closing prayer. They wouldn't talk to anybody. They're faithful to church. They're three times a week. And it, the announcement was given that I was going to be teaching a soul winning class on Wednesday night. And, and uh, they showed up. And I was shocked that Rose, and I can't remember her husband's name, but Rose and her husband were there. And there they are sitting in the very back of my class. And they came in late. And, and this time they didn't leave early. Everyone left and they stayed there. And I walked up and I said, uh, uh, hello. And I, I talked to them. And Rose put her head down, wouldn't make eye contact with me, and Rose said, she said, I just, I know I need to share the gospel with others in my life, but I just don't think I'll ever be able to do it. She said, I don't know if you figured this out, but I'm shy and I'm backwards. And I smiled real big. I said, yeah, I kind of got that idea. And I said to her, I said, Rose, what do you do for a living? And she said, well, I'm a cashier at a grocery store. I said, can I ask you a question, Rose? I said, when you started there at that grocery store, um, were you nervous? She said, oh, I, I, my heart raced. She said, I didn't even know if I was going to be able to do it. I said, are you nervous now? She said, no, I, I'm not nervous to do my job. I said, do you interact with customers? She said, yes. I said, do you know how the computer works and, 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 and the, and the uh, whole checkout process works? She said, yeah, I've got it down. I've been doing it for a few years now. I've, I know what I'm doing. I said, can I tell you the difference between when you started and where you are now is that you've learned how to do it, so now you're more confident. Watch this now. If you would learn how to share your faith with others and you had a plan to share your faith with others, all of a sudden that giant goes from being gigantic to itty-bitty really tiny. And it's something you can overcome. You see, we can complain and wince and, 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 and hide over the giants in our life, or we can work to be prepared to overcome them. It's a change of mindset. Letter A, David's preparation. Letter B, God's providence. God's providence. Now, we see here now, all throughout that this is a mixture of David being prepared and God being providential. Look at verse 49 again. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in the forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead. I like this part of the verse. And he fell upon his face to the earth. Now, I'll just be honest with you. I'm no expert. I don't know how um, these things are supposed to work. Um, so I'm speaking strictly as a layman here, okay? But if a rock is flying this way and, and sinks in, hits you so hard it sinks in your forehead, it would seem to be that you should fall backwards and not forwards. How many of you with me? How do you think he landed on his face? I think God gave him a little shove. I think God reached down and said, Boop! Now, I, the Bible doesn't say that's what happened, but I can't think of any other explanation of how he ended up on his face. Maybe he rocked back and forth like a weeble wobble, right? <laughs> but I tend to think God shoved him down from, from the front. You see, when you put yourself out there and you do what you know is right from a point of preparedness, God makes up the difference. But God's not going to make up any difference until you put yourself out there. Letter C, we see Goliath's posture. Verse 49 again at the end of the verse says, look here. 
he fell upon his face. One commentary I read this week, putting this message together, drew this out and uh, talked about how that uh, Goliath began by cursing God and bullying David. And where did God put Goliath? Prostrate on his face. You know, that's exactly where God wants all of us, is prostrate on our face. Um, If Goliath had started out prostrate on his face before God voluntarily, God wouldn't have needed to put him there. Be humble before your God, or he will humiliate you before everyone else. I've learned that if you lay on your face in private before God, then he'll never need to knock you on your face before man. Amen? James 4, 6, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud. That's what Goliath was. He was proud. He giveth grace unto the humble. Letter D. Notice David's, David prevailed. David prevailed. We're bringing uh, the sermon to a close here. Look at verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran. Now listen, you ladies that don't like uh, gory war stories, you can. it's in the Bible, amen? So we, don't blame me. God put it in here, right? We're about to read about somebody getting decapitated. So, oh, amen, guys? All right, look, look back at verse 51. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. Amen. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistine until uh, thou come to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way of Shareim even unto Gath and unto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. And David, I love this part, David took the head of the Philistines and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent, Goliath's armor in his tent. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistines, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth, and Abner said, As thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. Now David's walking around with Goliath's head in his hand by the hair. He's got his hand in Goliath's hair and he's walking around with the head. In fact, later on in the chapter, when David uh, is brought before Saul, he has the head of Goliath with him. David prevailed. David won. He slew the giant. But notice that not only did David benefit from the giant being uh, killed, all of Israel benefited from the giant being killed. When you step up and chop off the head of the giants that trouble you, not only does it give you great victory, it inspires others to do the same. To the dads in the room tonight with kids here, I commend you for coming out on a Sunday evening to church. Can I just say this? Your kids are not dumb. They know the struggles that you have. They see them because they live with you. My kids see me. They know what my struggles are. You ever want to get blackmail on me? Amen. Sit my kids down and threaten them with an inch of their life, and they'll tell you all the bad stuff I do. Amen. You wouldn't get much. But listen, I'm not perfect. You know what? When your kids see dad overcoming struggles and killing their giants, it inspires children to grow up and do the same. Dad and mom set the pace. Attack those giants. Overcome. Be honest with your kids. Be honest with your kids. Uh, When I blow it and I do wrong, I sit my kids down and say, Dad has a problem with this. Pray for Dad that he'll overcome that giant. Get on your knees and pray for Dad. And they watch Dad battle and fight, overcome. And you know what? When they see Dad overcome a giant, that encourages them to want to overcome theirs. Whatever your giant is tonight, it's time to defeat it. How many here tonight God has revealed some giant that you struggle with? Would you raise your hand? You know what it is. You know what that giant is in your life. How about it tonight? Are we going to overcome them? Are we going to continue to let them 
uh, drive fear into us and, and limit us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Lord, would you help us tonight to be people who are determined to put in the work that when we step in the valley to take on these giants, we would win the victory. May we not be lazy. Lord, help dads to lead the way at home. Where there's not a dad present, help moms to step up and lead the way at home. Lord, may all of us overcome. May we, may we overcome through our preparedness, but Lord, through your providence. May our eyes rest on you and trust you that no matter how big the giants are in our life, you can knock them down when we exert our, ourselves to do our part. Lord, would you convict each one according to uh, each need? And Lord, help us to be people that see victory.